You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. We're continuing our study tonight. Uh, our connection table is right out there, and if you don't own a Bible or have a Bible, you can always uh, look it up on your phone, download some pretty cool apps. Uh, Through the Word is one cool app that a uh, few of you guys have been enjoying. You read a chapter of the Bible, and it gives you like a 10-minute breakdown. Uh, it's pretty awesome. You can study Scripture there. Uh, but we have free Bibles in the back for you to take if you don't have one or if you know a friend that wants to get into God's Word. Remember, that's one of our values is speaking life to one another, and we do that as we hear from Jesus through His Word. Um, as we continue our study, God redeems. And uh, we're taking a long time, just our time going through Scripture, verse by verse, line by line, actually reading this thing, studying together. And um, man, it's been, it's been really good. And so we're sort of going to come up on our last section of Exodus. I say last section sort of, because it's still going to take a while to go through. But it, there's a couple of big sections in this book. Let's do a little recap, because last week I taught a topical message on discipleship and passing your faith on to others. Um, this book is all about God hearing his people. They were in slavery, the Israelites. He heard his people, and he rose up a leader to free him, Moses. He's a key figure in the Old Testament to lead them from slavery into a nation. They had been slaves for 430 years. They had been tortured, they have been uh, abused, and Moses is this key figure that God uses, and Moses is like, I can't be used, I can't be used, and God's like, in your weakness, I am strong. And so he raises up Moses, but God not only uses Moses, he uses these things called the plagues, or signs, and they would be talked about all throughout the Old Testament, displaying God's power, because God is a powerful being, he is uh, all-powerful, almighty, and he can display his power in powerful ways. Um, and so that sort of culminated with this section of the Passover and these feasts and um, this, these incredible events, stories you may have even heard about, like the parting of the Red Sea, or there's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Again, there's no slides. This is just all stuff we've taken like the last 40 messages on, or 30 messages on, you know. Um, and this last section, we've really focused on a very hard, difficult part, like rules, laws. First, we started with like the sort of like, okay, let's maybe cover it. Ten Commandments, right? And that's like the big moral principle to guide the nation. But a nation are not just morals, they're people. They're, they need guidance, they need direction. And God actually gives us rules because he's kind, because he loves. And so we got into the ordinances, 42 ordinances, and that we know that that was more of a sum of the whole Levitical law. Leviticus is one book that God gave them to establish the nation. And this is something that God has pro prophesied for, and he actually is establishing right here in Exodus. He's fulfilling his word, and it should encourage us. The next and final section of this book of Exodus is on the tabernacle. Now, every single big section, I've given you little handouts and pamphlets. Uh, next week or the week after, uh, 25, Exodus 25 through the end of the book, is all about the tab tabernacle, the priest, the sanctuaries, the, sa the sanctuary, the sacrifice, the Ark of the Covenant, like all these things that we're going to look to that actually point us to God because tabernacle means dwelling place of God. It also is the same word or where we arrive and get the word as Christians, heaven. Heaven literally means just a dwelling place of God. 
And he, they're actually going to make this tabernacle and this place, this dwelling place in the tent to mimic heaven. And it gives us really good principles about heaven, about Jesus, about sacrifice. So many beautiful truths that it will take time to study. One commentator said, God wanted to dwell among his people, the Israelites. He wanted to have fellowship with them and be able to commune with them. And this is the next section that we're getting in. God's heart to dwell with people. His indwelling presence. And we know this, and we are from, should be familiar with this because we have the Holy Spirit who dwells with us and walks with us, God himself. This should be so encouraging because we see God wants to dwell with us. Or like John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. So the text leading up to 25 is actually going to be about the tabernacle and from 23, about the end of 23 to 25 is a transitional section in the book. This is important. You'll understand. It will be a point in the message tonight. Okay? So we're going to finish the rest of the chapter, chapter 23, where Pastor Robin left off in verse 19. We'll pick up in verse 20 because now God is going to prepare them to, ta- to tabernacle with them by his word and promises. And this is what God does. There's a pattern. There's always promises of God, and then he meets that promise with his presence, and he fulfills things in our lives. So why is this important? I did write this down. I think it's important. How does this apply to us? Why is looking at these couple of transitional chapters and thinking through the tabernacle, and why are we still in Exodus? One, God's word is God's word. It's what we do. We study God's word. God speaks to us through his word. But there are key principles that we see in the Israelites of how God interacted with him, who this God does not change, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God redeems the Israelites and he redeems people, did you know God still redeems us, just like the Israelites? The Bible says that he actually redeems us and frees us from slavery of sin, a greater enemy than just the Egyptians. Egypt is always a picture of the world, and we've been freed from the sin, Satan, and death through the blood of Jesus. And we, he also walks with us or tabernacles with us through his spirit, as we're going to get into this last section, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the victory we have in God. God not only promises victory for the Israelites, But did you know 1 Peter talks about how he's given us great and precious promises to live by, to know, and then he not only gives us his promise, but he fulfills it through his presence, and he is a God that is here today, active today. We're not agnostics. We don't believe that there's just some God out there and just doing it. No, he's working. He's active. He's glorified today. We are part of what he's doing in history, and he deserves this type of worship and for us to just bow down to him. God not only has given us his promises, but his presence because he walks through us, and we're going to see he helps us fight the great enemies of our soul, the flesh, the world, and the devil. We are not in a playground. You are not neutral. Jesus said you were either for him or against him. And there is a spiritual realm, a cosmic dwelling place of God that he will finally one day make a new heavens and a new earth. But there is stuff going on in the spiritual realm that sometimes we have no idea what's going on. And we forget this. We need a physical reminder in the tabernacle to be like, oh, that's right. That's a picture of heaven. We're going to heaven, guys. This is amazing. This is incredible. We forget. Did you know that when we just sang those worship songs, we were singing with all of heaven? Eternity past, eternity forward. 
There are people, saints, your loved ones that have put their faith in Jesus that are walking and smiling and with Jesus face to face right now. And when you die, if you put your faith in Jesus, you can have the complete confidence to live is Christ and to die is gain. You will be in the presence of Christ. You need that reminder. I need this reminder. There are things that are spiritual that when we go to God, and listen, it's so weird because this is even a spiritual gathering, right? But yet we totally even forget like, oh, it's too cold. Oh, the temperature. I didn't like that key or that song or this or that. And we're so physical that we forget to get our eyes Remember last, last week we had an afterglow and we, the, sort of the theme of the, that we were just singing and it was like this, God just, God just opened the eyes of our hearts. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Well, what does that mean? Just everything that we are. Let us, let us be a people that sees the spiritual things of this world. God's presence is powerful and as we trust him, pursue him, he dwells with us and we too can have victory. We too can walk in victory and conquer our enemies. And listen, we don't have no Goliath. We don't have no uh, Egyptians. But don't you find opposition in this world when you're living for God? Aren't there spiritual enemies? Aren't there physical enemies even sometimes following God? Antagonistic friends that just oppose God and the things of God? We need to look and say, how do I overcome those things? How do I have victory in those things? How do I still give God glory with my life? What does that look like? And so this, this section is so important because it's, it's transitioning our thought process into you are no longer slaves. You have now a new identity with new ordinances, new rules, and now the Spirit of God, go live for me. Christian, you are no longer a slave of sin. You are just not this weak victim. You have been set free by the blood of Christ. You have the spirit of God inside of you and he wants to use you for his kingdom to advance his kingdom to make disciples here and now. This is not just a waiting game until then. This starts now. You have eternal life. You know God. What does that look like? So I'm calling this message a promise of victory because this is what God is giving the Israelites and this is what I believe he wants to give us tonight. A promise of victory, Exodus 23 through 20, or chapter 23, verse 20 through 33. So let's go ahead and read the whole text. I don't know if we have slides of the whole thing, or if you just want to just rock in your Bible with me. Uh, but we're going to read all 13 verses and then come back to it and study through. We don't have to be as detailed with the ordinances because this is a more of a story, praise God. And not just like... Hey, I have 75 points for you tonight. Let's go as fast as I can. So the words will be on the screen. If you can't see those, you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you one for free tonight. Let's go in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to a place that I have prepared. Pay, close, uh, play, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not part for for he will not pardon your transgression, for my, name's, for my name is in him. We're going to slow it down a little bit. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hevites, the Jezubites, and I will block them out. A lot of ites people. You shall not, come on, you act like you know how to pronounce all those names. You shall not bow down to those people's gods, their gods, nor serve them. 
nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. This is where they would worship their gods. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among, from among you. None shall miscarry or be burdened in your land. I will, be, I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you and I will send hornets before you. Notice this is just a big section. He's saying, I'm going to put this fear. It's going to be a supernatural victory that he's going to give the Israelites and it's going to be a practical victory. This is just a little bonus. Not my notes, but just look at it because I don't want you to get lost in this big text. It's a story. He's saying, I'm going to send this fear, but I'm also going to send hornets. And this, I think, actually happened in Joshua, the book of Joshua. It talks about this. So this is prophecy. It's a promise. Which shall drive out the, he- the Hevites uh, and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But, in verse 30, he says, little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let's pray and let's study together. God, we thank you so much that we can get together. We thank you how you're moving. We do pray, Lord, that you would continue to enlighten our hearts. Help us to see more of your beauty, more of your grace. Lord, thank you that the heavenly hosts and the angels marvel right now at the gospel and what you're doing in our lives because you're so grand in beauty. It's the manifold wisdom of the church that you display your glory and powerful might by showing grace and mercy to us. So show grace and mercy to us. Speak through an imperfect person today to be able to give your beautiful people the internal uh, truths that you want them to know tonight. And so we love you, we praise you, and we ask that you continue to be glorified as we always gather in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. A promise of victory. That's what this text is all about. It's a big section, it's 13 verses, but here in this text, God is giving his people a promise of victory over their enemies. And although um, there would be battles to fight, the victory for God's people would be prophesied and it would be evident, it would be complete, and it would be something that they can actually look to and find hope in. They just had to trust God for what he actually said. Sort of sound familiar to us? We just have to trust God for what he said because the victory, the battle belongs to the Lord. He already did everything, but oftentimes it takes trust to overcome, to actually have hope. And as we study this section, what I want to do is I want to show you three points that will help you personally have victory as well in your spiritual journey to trust Christ. Uh, We don't have these points on the screen, but I do want to give you them up front and then we'll look through them. I want to tell you that there is victory through one, your focus. Verses 20 through 24, your obedience, verses 25 through 28, and your patience, verses 29 through 33. Point number one, victory through focus. Victory through focus, it was the first four verses where God says, I am 
going before you. Did you notice that? Uh, that's the first thing that noticed to me. He's like, uh, you're going to win and you're going to have this victory. And he promises, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight for his people. He says, I'll protect you. I'll lead you. I'll speak to you. I'll forgive you even. I'll, I'll empower you to win. God is making a declaration about something that he is going to do for his people. You clearly see this promise that God engages with his people and fights for them in the spiritual realm. And we want to remind ourselves today that God is with his people fighting in the spiritual realm. You know, Jesus, he's actually at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now. God is always moving. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is always moving on our behalf. He is working. He is guiding. He is leading. He has not abandoned his people, but he walks with us. Remember, Moses and his people, uh, and the people here, they would already sing this praise and experience this truth. This isn't just something out there. They've experienced it and it would continue on. Just like when you experience Christ and the goodness of, his, of, of your God, when he does something amazing in your life, it's not just a one-off. You continue to have hope and he continues to give goodness to you as you walk with him. Exodus 15, verse 3, it was the song of Moses. They would scream out, the Lord is a warrior. His name is the Lord. Meaning God fought for us. He got us across the Red Sea. He, he had all these plagues and they go on in the, all of chapter 15 singing, rejoicing. He fights for us. He fights for his people. And you know what? We should be rejoicing in our God that he fights for us. The prophet Isaiah would declare in Isaiah 42 verse 13. This is the New American Standard Version. He says, the Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will uh, arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Listen, he came humble and meek, but he is a roaring lion and he is victorious. And when he comes, no one that opposes him will ever win. Not the devil and not even you. You have to understand this because oftentimes we just look at the ministry of Jesus when he came humbly as the Lamb of God, his earthly ministry. But Jesus was alive before he came to earth. He's an eternal God. And no one will wage war against him and win. The Bible says if God is for you, then who could be against you? Listen, let's start thinking about Jesus in this powerful, mighty way. And notice how God goes before his people. And this is where a little text and teaching needs to come involved. He fights for them. He says in verse 1, Behold, I send an angel before you. An angel, the angel of the Lord. God sends this mysterious angel, and usually this word is capitalized depending on what Bible you have, or he is known as the angel of the Lord because this, my friends, is referring to Jesus. A Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus before he came to earth as a baby in Bethlehem. Now let us remember that Jesus is God, and he existed before time. Colossians 1, 15 and 19, they say in fact that he actually made time and in all things exists by him and through him. He's eternal. And although Jesus came humbly into this world as a baby, does not mean that he was actually created. He just came in that way. Jesus existed before time passed and actually acknowledged this in his teaching. If you look at the New Testament in John chapter 8, I have a few verses I want to read to give you some context because Jesus is telling the people, I'm greater than Moses. 
I am greater than these prophets. I'm doing all this different stuff. I am God. And many times the Pharisees knew that he was claiming to be God, so they'd want to kill him. This is a time where he says, I am the great I am. I am who I am. Remember the angel of the Lord was in the burning bush? And Moses is like, well, who are you? Who should I say you are? I am that I am. Well, Jesus, he said this, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is even before Abraham. I mean, this is before Moses. This is in Abraham in Genesis. And Jesus says he saw it and was glad. So the Jews, they were a little confused. They're like, um, what, are y'all t- what are you talking about, man? You're like a young man. We know Jesus was probably at this time 30 to 33, three-year ministry. He, they say, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, or listen up, this is real, y'all. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember, that was the same language and verb we studied about, about Jehovah, Yahweh, revealing his name to Moses through the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. So what happens then? Is this just a mistake? Is this like what? It's like a cute little word? No, if you go to not only the Greek, the Hebrew, you see the action in the text. They pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he's blaspheming. Other texts he would do this again. You are blaspheming. You're telling telling to be God. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus said, I forgive your sin. Who can forgive sin besides God? They tried to kill him again. And here's what's so amazing about Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's it. A man had an agenda. They wanted to kill him for making a very, verily, verily, or truthly, truthly statement. And people wanted to actually murder him, blasphemy, get stones. They pick him up and Jesus is like, nah, (laughs) just deuces. Like you ever read those verses? Like how did that even happen? You can't win against God, my friends. This is why Jesus bears the name in Revelation 13, 8, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. One commentator said this title for Jesus reminds us that God's plan for redemption was set before he even created the beings who would even be redeemed. This is not no pity party like the Old Testament is man trying and then Jesus' plan B. Jesus has always been plan A. Before the foundations of the earth, in fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says he chose us in him before the foundations of the earth. And so Jesus would actually appear in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. But that word angel is not speaking of an angelic being. It's actually translated messenger of the Lord. A representation, a representative of the Lord, a messenger. And we see in this text pretty clear that they're told to pay attention to this messenger, to listen to this messenger, to obey him, to worship him. Any other angel, if they are an angelic being, because there are angelic beings, heavenly hosts, if they receive worship, they fall down and say, no, don't worship me, worship God alone. But not this angel. This messenger could even pardon sin. And we know in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, only God could pardon sin, which is why... Jesus did this in his early, earthly ministry. You would see that. So we not only see the angel of the Lord appear here in this text, but over and over again in the Old Testament. 
I have this slide, Old Testament Appearances of the Angel of the Lord. It's a different Bible study. It's a lot because it happens a lot. If this was a one-off, we'd be like, wait, hold on, huh, what's going on? No, this happens. Did you know that this angel of the Lord, he wrestled with Jacob, Genesis chapter 32? He redeemed Jacob from all evil, Genesis 48 tells us. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. He protected Israel at the Red Sea. He's already appeared in this book already, Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. He prepared Israel for the promised land. In this text right here, he promises it, and he goes before them and fights. In the book of Joshua, we see probably more of a famous story where Joshua's like, are you with me? Are you against me? And the angel of the Lord says, nope, wrong question. <laughs> I'm the guy. You need to follow me. There, if you're following me, you're wrong. He assures and reassures Joshua the victory in Joshua chapter 5 because many of these promises are actually fulfilled in the book of Joshua. He commissions Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He instructs Samson's parents in Judges 13. He ministers to the great prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. He actually saved Israel in Isaiah chapter 37. And even preserved three godly Hebrew men where the king says, did I not throw three in? Why are there four? And one looks like an angel of the Lord. He appears in the Old Testament. Well, what's the point of this fascinating point? Is it just sort of like so we can have a couple of Bible facts in our belt or something? No. We receive victory as we focus on Jesus. God is making a promise and saying, look to this person, the angel of the Lord, the messenger, Jesus. John MacArthur said this, the key to victory is in the upcoming takeover of the land would not be the Israelites' military skill, but the presence of this angel who is the pre-incarnate Christ. Too often times we think we will have victory in our lives, especially our spiritual lives, when we try harder and do better. That is usually our focus. If I just nail it down, if I just try harder or do better, but the gospel of Jesus, the good news tells us we are saved by grace through faith and our faith has an object and the objection of our faith should be Jesus. He is the object of our worship. God is the one that gives salvation and he gives victory. And if we focus on him, like the Bible tells us to constantly do so, well, we will find victory because he's the only one that could do it. And he goes before us. We just have to have faith to look to him over and over and over again. Or like Hebrews 12, 2 says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him was endured in the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our focus needs to be Jesus because that is where we get our victory over our enemies. Now, one section when I was reading this, I sometimes read through different versions, translations, or like in that there's headers over the section. And one commentator called this section of Scripture in these verses an epilogue, a, a promise about the conquest of land. Epilogue. Now, even though I read, I had to look it up. I wanted to give you this term because I think it's interesting and important. An epilogue is a section or a speech at the end of a book or a play that serves as a comment on or conclusion to what just happened. You're saying, what's the point? Just 
giving you a little tension, you know? Come on. Don't you like surprises? Remember how I said there was big sections in this book? Why would commentators and people say that this is an epilogue? Because there has been a huge section, even a book summarized, Leviticus summarized in the law, in doing, in morals, in ordinances, in your strength, in obedience, in rules. And God now wants to stamp and give them a promise and a reminder this is the focus, not the ordinance, not the rules, Jesus. This section of Scripture is a comment, a conclusion to us that we find victory not in the law, but in God's presence. And then he's about to explain through the tabernacle. And this is what the presence looks like. But don't get it twisted. You're not going to get there through the law. Our victory comes through the presence of Christ. As we abide in him, John 15 says, we bear fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul said, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you will have victory in your life as you focus on Jesus. He goes before you, he's fight, he's already done the work, but are you focusing on him? Are you looking to, he, God is telling the Israelites, behold, focus on this angel of the Lord. He's going to fight your battles. He's going to do everything. But you also have to have faith to obey him. You see, we also gain not just through our focus of what we're looking at, but we gain victory in our lives through obedience. Because sin separates us. It, it hinders us, our relationship with God, our fellowship with Christ. And if we don't obey God or walk in his ways, it does affect our fellowship with him. So point number two, verses 25 through 28, victory through obedience. God's plan was not just to bring the people to the wilderness, but actually to a, a land of abundance or blessing. But in order for those people to get from here to there, they had to trust God and obey him. They actually had to trust God, follow God, obey him. He wanted their worship, and warned them to utterly destroy their enemies and not bow down to their idols. The focus needs to be me, so don't go to idols. You need to destroy all these people. I've given them prophecy. I've given them warnings. It's been over 400 years. I want you to even take care of their pillars. Destroy it all. Verse 24, you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. God promised blessing and victory as they worshiped and obeyed him, not looking to other things for satisfaction or compromise or idols. So this is why he's going to command to destroy and idol all idol worship and worship him alone over and over and over again in this text. Because God wants to bless his people and he knows that you and I were made to worship. But if Jesus isn't our focus, we can make other things the focus and it actually destroys us. He doesn't want that, want that for us. This is why when Jesus' ministry on the earth came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent just means to turn, to change mind, to, to go to God. Our Ephesians 1.3 says, all spiritual blessings are found in Jesus, in Christ. We gain victory as we abide in Christ, but sin causes us to turn from Christ, not to him. So God wants us to deal with sin, to obey, to lovingly care for him and follow him. You see, through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us. 
But the Bible does say in Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Spirit as Christians. We can sin against God still as Christians, still as God's people. They would have to be warned over and over and over again. And when we sin, there are consequences for sin. Yes, there is full forgiveness. Yes, we can confess. But the reality is, there are still consequences for our actions. What you reap sows. This is why it's so important to uh, what you sow, you reap. Well, this is why it's so important to continually repent and believe as we're studying in the community groups this, this, this attitude of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And it's a continual cycle of returning to Christ over and over and over again. So we obey God and His Word and we're going to reap spiritual life and victory as we sow the Spirit, not of the flesh. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. This is writing to you and I, Christians. People that follow God. God is not mocked. For, what, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And sowing the seed of life is worshiping Christ. Because loving, obe- loving God actually includes obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're not saved from our works. We're not saved uh, by our works, but we're saved from our works to follow God. We overcome by having faith in Jesus, so much so that we lovingly obey him and constantly turn to him, and it blesses our life as we trust in the finished work of Christ. I hope that makes sense. It needs to dig down deep into our souls because, again, if we're talking about victory and fighting, oftentimes, too often, we don't trust the gospel and apply it to our lives. This is why coming to church is important for you. It's important for me, hearing God's word, singing songs, worshiping, and taking communion. These things are good practices for our soul. These disciplines, our rituals, our spiritual practices because they help us turn to Christ and trust Him over and over and over. And we mature as we look to God. Just as Moses went up to the mountain, got the law, and was in God's presence, people knew He was in God's presence. And He shined. If you want to have great purpose and power in this life, you have to look to God's presence. But you'll take the law with you down that mountain, won't you? You'll still want to follow God because now who you are is changed from the inside out. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. We not only need to focus on Jesus, but we need a faith. And our faith, the Bible says, has works. It obeys God. A faith that turns to God will be a faith that gives you victory, will give you blessing, will help you to have hope for the promised land. And when you apply the truths of the gospel in your life, you will be blessed. He has promised some amazing things to believers in his word, but we have to have patience. We have to have patience. We have to trust him, and that requires patience. Third point, victory through patience, verse 29 through 33. So you have to have a focus, but your focus has to practice and have faith. But your faith isn't complete. It doesn't just happen. We're, we're right now walking as Christians like from faith to faith. We're not in heaven. 
So we have to have patience. They weren't in Canaan or the promised land. They had to have patience to get there. Look at verse 29 and 30. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. This was a strategic and slow move by God to give them victory. I hated reading that verse, verse 30, little by little. I don't know about you, but that, that, was, that was, oh, dang it, that's in the Bible again. <laughs> Patience is a virtue, or over time. One commentator said this, if God had given them the land all at once rather than little by little, the land would have become desolate and overrun by wild animals before Israel could settle in and cultivate it. It was actually the wisdom of God to have the patience of God to give them victory in this way. In other words, I wrote this down, fruit, the fruit would have broken the branch. If they would have had all the fruit and all the victory all at one time, it would have broke them. It wouldn't have been good for the land and good for them. Sometimes our character just can't handle certain situations. And we know this because in the New Testament, this is how we pick elders, our church leadership, right? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the elder, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and, fool, uh, and fall into condemnation of the devil. They, they could have been puffed up, conceived, or, or being condemned by the devil, thinking it was all their victory or all this. Or that. No, it was God's victory. He promised it. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to do it this way. I'm even going to give you some supernatural stuff, fear in the people's eyes, and I'm going to send some hornets. Some translations literally have been like, well, maybe the hornets were the Egyptians. And the, no, bro, in Joshua, it's, like, it's really a, tr- a prophecy. Hornets came, they stung people. It was amazing. You should read it. Study your Bible. But it's incredible to me that in God's wisdom, he knew that. He worked in a supernatural and a natural way, and it was just a slow grind. Guys, God's going to work in your life in a supernatural and in a natural way, but it's going to be a slow grind. You're going to mature. You're going to develop. You're going to grow. I guarantee if you just do not quit, what do the Bible always exhort us to do? Just don't grow weary in doing good. Hey, be steadfast, but then also be immovable. Steadfast means you hold it. Immovable means you hold it under pressure, okay? It's like giving you the double dosage. Just don't give up. Don't quit. Keep trusting. Have hope. Hang in there. This isn't your home. It's a temporary thing. You have verses for that. You read that. But this should actually affect our living. I wrote this down. It's a shame we always get mad at God when we have to wait. Isn't that a shame? That's my natural reaction. I'm ashamed of myself. When I have to wait... Rather than thinking about God's wisdom of who he is and praising God that he doesn't give us everything that we want immediately so that we would even have the audacity to think it's all about us and not about him. Or we would get the blessing and that blessing would be so big, so weighty, so heavy, we wouldn't even have the character to even enjoy the blessing. You know, Robin and I talk about this all the time, our kids as well. We always talk about like if you were to win the lottery, what would you do, right? You ever do that before? It's not off my notes, so I'm just giving you a little real illustration, okay? 
I would always give money to everyone in the church. You're welcome, okay? I would tithe all that thing, I'd offer, and then I'd give you a special, like, you need a car, and you need a, I'd be like, oh, for you, you know what I mean? Very generous person. But did you know, studies show this, most people that win the lottery go bankrupt. Most football players that win millions of dollars, they retire with nothing. They spend it all. They don't know management. I think about that sometimes. God, thank you so much. You were so good. You're not going to give me all the blessings because I'm not even there yet. Because the Bible says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When you wait upon God to work little by little, you'll appreciate. And you know why this is hard and why we don't like it? It's because it's suffering. The Bible teaches you will suffer in this life. And that is actually a fiery trial that should be expected and you should have some joy, James says, because when that's suffering, it'll actually, you'll preserve and it produces some amazing fruit. But dying to self, my friends, is so hard. Dying to the flesh, picking up your cross and following after Jesus, giving up your plans, your pleasures, or even what you thought would be good for your life and saying, Jesus, I trust you, is very hard. But the Bible says it's very hard victoriously glorious. You can actually have hope in God as you allow him to work little by little, as you focus on Jesus, as you obey him and wait for the promised land that we all have. We know it's a living hope, the hope of heaven, but we need some patience. We need a community like a church to remind us it's worth it. Man, two years ago, you were struggling with that, but you overcame and now you're struggling with this. But guess what? God's been faithful, so he's gonna continue to be faithful. Hey, those that are weak bear the burdens of those that are, are the, the, those that are strong bear the burdens of those that are weak. We can come alongside of one another and remind ourselves this life, it's worth it. We can wait upon the Lord together and see these things come to pass. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. Listen how Peter describes it at the end of his second letter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives? Uh, to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, are because of this, beloved saints, believers, followers of Jesus, us today, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's not get caught with wrongful thinking. The way that we as Christians are without spot and without blemish isn't by trying harder or doing better, but it is by Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. Our lives need to focus on his gospel and applying that to our lives by loving him, focusing on him, obeying him, and being patient for his timing to work how he wants to work. God knows what is best for us. So in our sanctification, he is, sometimes takes a slower turn a process than what you and I desire. But he knows what he's doing. And he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You could trust on it. You could bank on it. So at the end of this promise in this text, God reminds them to worship him alone, to make no covenant with the people or the gods again, 
Because again, it's not if we worship, it's what we worship. In verse 32 and 33, you shall make no covenant with him. And here's the crazy thing. Even with the promise, the Israelites still disobeyed. Remember Joshua? Joshua chapter 9, it actually talks about how the Israelites, they did make a covenant with their enemies. They got deceived by their enemy and they stumbled. They couldn't obey all of God's commands in their best efforts. And this should be a reminder that neither can we. This is why it's so important that our focus must always be Christ. Our focus always has to be Christ and the work that he's done to get back to Christ and the cross is actually how we get sanctified and mature and develop. As we move from this large section of the law, we should be reminded again that no one can obey it perfectly even after God does a ton of work in your life. Like they had already given a praise of God that he's a warrior in Exodus 15. They'd already seen the, the, the Red Sea split. By this time, they're having manna fall from heaven. Like there's a lot of God, God's in a pillar of like cloud, fire. It's pretty evident God is real. They've seen the thunder. They've seen the mountain. They got the law, all this different stuff, and they still couldn't obey perfectly. Neither will you be able to obey perfectly. It does not mean that God has given up on you. It means he doesn't want you to rely on yourself. He wants you to rely on him. So we need a savior. We need Jesus because no one can have victory without God. So he just says, I'm just going to go before you and do it all. So this is why as Christians, we look to the gospel always. We center our lives around this good news of Jesus that he goes before us and did a work that we could not do. And so let our focus always be on him. Let us repent and enjoy the good news of God, having true faith, one that works and obeys in a loving attitude towards him, trusting the process and living faithfully from faith to faith to faith until glory comes. It's going to take some patience, but he tells us to wait. And as we do so, we'll experience more intimacy in this life here and in the next. So let's finish by reminding ourselves that. Let's take communion once again and praise God for his victory. And uh, let's ask God to continue to work in our hearts. God, we thank you so much that we can look to your word and we can find victory through the cross. We know, Lord, that the battle belongs to you. And so we want to lift up our voices and sing. We want to praise your name. We want to take these elements to remind ourselves, God, as we walk out those doors, that it's not about us, it's about you. And we have true life when we surrender ourselves to you. I just pray for those listening online or even in this room, God, that if they don't know you, Jesus, and are living, um, Lord, just in sin, that they would repent, that they would turn to you, that they would find victory and forgiveness of their souls in you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we can repent, that we can turn, not by our own efforts, but we're saved by grace through faith. Looking to you, God, we trust you. And this is what we want to do is close our service, to take the elements of communion. Your blood was shed for us. Your body was beaten for us. Just as you told the Israelites, look to the angel of the Lord. God, we look to the angel of the Lord today, Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, our Lord. And we find hope and victory and strength in you. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we have victory in you. We come to you once again and we rejoice. Help us to have hearts that rejoice and praise your name. Let us all repent and turn to you. It's in your name we pray. 
Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.